welcome back to the Throwback Bookstack podcast. If you have not listened before, this is a podcast where we reread the books of our youth, the ones that we loved as kids, the ones that we vaguely remember as kids, the ones that we thought were a different book, but now are realizing they're not that book. Okay, I've only done that like twice. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't directly about you, except it was entirely about you. <laughs> um, but yeah, and now we're rereading them as adults, and... We are now seeing, what do we think of these books? What do we think about ourselves? It's about this a journey of discovery together. I'm one of your hosts. I'm Kelly. I am Emily. And we're in this together, aren't we? Yeah, sometimes. I'm really proud of Emily. Guess who listened to our podcast for the first time? Emily. I did. I listened to, like, a good chunk of some <laughs> episodes. <laughs> I did not listen to an entire thing through. Someday you will. I like you're getting more comfortable with it. Am I? Do you remember when we couldn't have you look directly at the microphone? That's true. I can look directly at the microphone now. We're getting you there. Someday you're gonna be fucking having our podcast as your playlist on your ride home. That seems unlikely, but someday I believe in your goals for Give me. It like a year weirdly. or two, three I, years. I believe in your goals for me. <laughs> I want the best for you. And by that, I mean I want you to listen to our podcast. I'm so proud of you. I only yelled once. I know. I just thought you would never do that. I don't like hearing my own voice on a recording. I hear your voice all the time, and I love your voice. That's weird. <laughs> hearing yourself. Yeah, I know. Who do you think edits this fucking episode and has to hear her own voice all the time? Magical elves. <laughs> God. I wish. That would actually be really nice. Anyway, this week we're back with another book. This week, we are reading the book Bat Six by Virginia Ewer Wolf. It was published in 1998. And this was a book that I had, like many other books of Emily on the list, you've heard this refrain before, had not read, had not heard of, never even seen, total stranger to me. This was on our list, and I was like, what the fuck is Bat Six? I had assumed it was actually about bats. Uh, when I found out it was about sports, I was very surprised and delighted. Um... Yeah, I had obviously heard of it, read it, loved it, uh, all that jazz. I am into baseball, and I was into this because it was not only a historical fiction, it was about, it's technically about softball, but, you know, it was about something kind of related to baseball and historical fiction about girls, which was my jam. I have no clue how I found this book. It does hit all of your points of favorite things. I know, right? Yeah. Tons of girls, historical. Yeah kind of baseball related depressing as hell yeah all your points all right it wasn't that depressing <laughs> anyway um so what do you remember about this book as a kid uh i actually remembered a good bit there were some parts of aki's story that i think i was confusing with a different book about a japanese kid in world war ii but um i did remember it was about kind of about world war ii it was about a group of girls playing a softball game and i remembered the ending <laughs> That was not a surprise to me. And by ending, I just mean what happens to her. Not the actual ending, which was a little bit of a surprise. So yeah, I remember a good deal of it. I did not own this book. This was always a library book for me. Mm -hmm. So I didn't reread it as much as the books I owned. Again, I'm not sure how I found it. It was probably like a random just like displayed at the library, so I picked it up. Yeah, I could definitely see this one ending up on a display at some point. Because um, it hits on a lot of... Topics that I feel are pretty resonant with different topics from elementary school. Although I'm from the West Coast, so we hit internment camps a little harder than you guys, I think. 
I don't know. So, uh, weirdly, I haven't covered World War Two much in, like, history because my teachers consistently throughout my entire life always did that thing where they spent way too much on early history huh. and then tried to catch up, like, right around World War One, and, like, maybe got to World War Two sometimes. It was always very rushed. And, like, I never, ever learned about anything after World War II. <laughs> never. Not once. That's really weird. Yeah. Everything I know about, like, Korea and the Vietnam War in the 80s are, like, just from pop culture. Oh, no. <laughs> I have some more books for you. They're not the kind we read for this podcast, but I think I'm just gonna put some Howards in your bag before you leave today. I know a lot about World War One. Okay. I can tell you so much about World War One. You know, there's a lot of history that's happened, and it's all, like, super fucking important to know about, right? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. New podcast. I teach Emily about history. Yeah. But I can teach you a thing or two about World War One. Anyway, that's six. So, uh, let's give a summary of it. So, if you haven't listened to our podcast before, we want you to be part of our conversation. So, we would like to tell you what this book is about if you were like me and are like, what? What book? So, uh, Emily will give us a summary of the book. So if you don't want to hear it because you want to go read the book yourself first, hit pause here, come back to us later. Like to state that this book was published in 1998. Yeah. Uh, so this book is kind of a weird one. It follows a group of girls in a community in the Pacific Northwest. And their community... So first I'm going to start off and explain. It takes place in 1949. Yes. And their community, when they were founded, kind of had kind of one of those, like, um, like things you see a lot in TV shows, where there was two towns that kind of split off that are right next to each other, and there was bad blood between the two towns. And so, in 1899, the ladies of the two towns got kind of fed up and organized a softball game, where they went and met at, like, a park and um, played each other, like, against each other. And all the men kind of, like, came to watch what they were doing and, like, ended up getting along. And there was, like, picnics and snacks. And so it became this, like, yearly tradition because it brought the two towns together. And so this, 1949, is the 50th anniversary of this game, which they call Bat Six. So every year, the sixth grade girls from both towns put together a team and they play each other. And it's a huge deal. Like, they have, like, a big, like, giant billboard with all the past scores on it and stuff, and it's just a big thing. So that's kind of where this book takes place. And so, um, it's not really, I mean, it is kind of divided up into chapters. Basically, this book just follows the year of the girls, the summer before, all the way through the game and stuff, which is always played in May. Each girl gets a little, like, just divides into little snippets from each girl. So you learn a lot about every single girl and their lives and the community around it. It's kind of hard to go through because there are, you know, how many girls? A lot. Like 18. Many girls. <laughs> At least. So many girls. And some you learn about more than others. So, starting off, so the two towns are called Barlow and then Bear Creek Ridge. And each one of them kind of gets their own newcomer, like a new girl in town, and they're both very good. So the one team, uh, Bear Creek Ridge, gets Aki. Her family was one of the Japanese families that was sent away to the internment camps when she was very little. So she had actually lived there before when she was two. They had not come back right away, which you later learn is because some of the people who were still friends with the family had warned her parents that there was still some, like, 
bad blood and bad things happening to There other... was a bunch of super fucking racist people in town. Let's, yeah, Let's put it that way. I think there was another Japanese family and someone threw a brick through their window that, like, hit a baby. Yeah. <laughs> like... Like, super fucked up shit. And so the family had been hesitant to return, but they finally did, and one of the reasons why is because her mom loved the Bat-6 game so much and wanted Aki to have her turn. So she hasn't lived in this town since she was two, but basically she was originally from there. And then the other town, Barlow, has a new girl whose name is Shazam, whose mom was also from there, and kind of, she has kind of a checkered past that, like, slowly comes out that, like, shocks all the other girls. Like, her mom basically had her when she wasn't married, and the guy who she got pregnant with Shazam with, and Shazam's real name is Shirley, by the way. She's not actually named that, that's just her name. Was kind of like, uh, not that great of a dude. <laughs> but he had joined the army, and he- Navy. Navy, thank you. He, that makes sense, because he died at Pearl Harbor. Mm -hmm. And Shazam has, like, a bunch of issues- that are not really ever cleared up. I think she has some sort of learning disability and has problems comprehending things and also has a lot of emotional problems, like is very hung up on what happened to her dad, is kind of angry at the world in a lot of ways. And her mother, we learn, exacerbated a lot of this issue. Her mother was very traumatized by the experience of the loss of her husband in a way that she then passed on a lot of fucked up shit to her child. I think her mom is one of those people you could, like, sum up by being, like, she is a piece of work. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, and so Shazam came back to this town to live with her grandma for a while. And so it goes through the year and the events. You see that even though the war is over, the hints of how people are still kind of recovering from it and how it's still, like, affected everyone. Aki's family has a lot of difficulties because this is already a poor community. It's a community basically based around everyone has, like, orchards no one's really making that much money but because they were gone for so long and didn't exactly have like great people renting their land or anything all their stuff has kind of been like overgrown and not taken care of and so they're like struggling to make it back from this farm that they had taken care of and then were pulled away two of the girls dads don't talk to each other because one of them was drafted and like went but the other guy was a conscientious objector. Basically, it was put on like work duty. He was sent to like, he was sent, sent to, to a, a camp. Yeah. To yeah, do labor during the war. Yeah, but the other dad is still mad at him because he didn't fight, and so they still basically don't talk. And there's like a huge deal between them. Uh, the assistant coach for one of the teams is missing his arm and got injured and amputated in the war. Even though the war is over. There's still, like, lingering things where you see this town is still being affected by parts of it. The one girl, Daisy, is called Loose Lips because she had said something about that slogan, Loose Lips Sink Ships, when, like, first grade, when she didn't even understand it. Yeah, I can't remember that story. She made a comment, like, where one of her family members was in the war, and, like, so then everyone else accused her of, of having loose lips based on that. And so, yeah. because of course, and everyone's like, same time. There probably aren't spies in our first grade class. <laughs> so you see a little bit of how this town is still kind of healing and coming back together. There are, like, points, but the whole plot is basically, like, just going through and getting to know a lot of these characters. You learn about Ela May and how she has all these older brothers, some of who are up to no good. They're called hoodlums, and some who are better. All her brothers help her out, and she's really obsessed with pitching. 
you learn about Wink, who's, like, super tall, and the only girl on the team who refuses to wear the skirt. She wears pants because she loves sliding because she's obsessed with Hank Greenberg. Um, you learn about Kate, who's from one of the poorest families, and for Christmas they get a refrigerator, and they've never had one before, and they all just go crazy, like, lose their mind. You learn more about Aki and what she went through. She comes, and no one really remembers her because she left when she was so young. Her family is well-loved in the community, and she is, like, really accepted by all of her classmates. Like, they all love her. She And she is also really good at baseball and also very smart. And you learn part of the reason is because it was one of the, the only things they could do at the camp was play baseball. And that also because, like, she couldn't go to school, her cousins were kind of in charge. And they had no clue of, like, what to actually teach people. <laughs> so they kind of accidentally overtaught a lot of things like they were making her spell like triple syllable words like all the baseball words and stuff mm. basically in first grade and she's like yeah and i didn't learn until later that most first graders just spell like their names <laughs> but she's also going through a hard time you hear a lot about how after they left the camp and went and lived in california for a while like she really struggled with feeling ashamed that she was japanese they would try to like tape up their eyes so that they didn't look asian and she tried to forget Japanese because <laughs> she could speak it from her grandmother and was, like, basically trying to forget it and couldn't. <laughs> so it's a lot of, like, trying to come to terms with that and to not ashamed of this heritage because she was, I mean, basically locked up for it as a small child. <laughs> you learn about Shazam and just kind of you hear her backstory and how, yeah, basically she just is still, like, has some real... I want to say mental problems and a lot of it revolves around being upset about her whole family. Her mom isn't quite there physically or mentally. Like her grandma tries but she's just met her grandma and is just now going there and like she's resentful that her dad isn't there because he died when she was so young. He's always been presented to her kind of like on a pedestal like, he would be the best if only he was around, but he's not, and it's all the Japanese fault. So she has some, like, real issues with this. <laughs> and so you just get, like, little tidbits of what it's like to live in this town at this time, what the year is like. Every girl kind of has a different voice. They so pretty strong point of view yeah. for each of them. Well, and I just meant that literally, like, they talk different. Uh, who is it who always says, like, hubba hubba ding ding? And yeah, like, they each have their own slang, like, they each have their own sort of distinct way of, of speaking and, like, arrangement of sentence. No, like, they have yeah. d very strong voices between all of them. And throughout the book, you see little hints, not little hints, things that Shazam does that are, like, foreshadowing, basically, yeah. but it's basically her being racist against different Japanese families in the community, but in small ways that the girls are willing to kind of overlook a little. Like, oh, don't say that word. Or like, oh, he's fine. They Not... don't really know how deep everything goes. So they think telling yeah. her, like, hey, don't say that will solve the problem. And they try to, like, overlook a lot of the, the small things that are happening. And or th they keep thinking, oh, obviously I didn't hear that. Or maybe I heard that wrong. Or maybe I didn't see what I thought I saw. So this all comes to a head when the actual Bat-6 game happened. The first inning happens and it's a great game of softball. People get some hits, get on the board, and the first thing you hear see is that Aki gets a hit that should have been a pop fly, but she hits it to Shazam, who just blanks out, like doesn't move, which is very unlike her. And then 
innings over, switch sides, go over, and Shazam comes up to hit, and as she's running to first where Aki is, she slams into her and elbows her in the jaw so hard that she knocks her out. It's brutal and it's unexpected, and it brings the whole game to a halt. The other girls have to run in and kind of hold Shazam back because she's still trying to go after Aki. They have to call an ambulance. The town has like a town meeting to figure out what to do. They cancel the game. And then all the girls are just kind of in shock and don't know what to do. Trying to figure out how to deal with this. All the ones who saw anything little that Shazam did feel horribly guilty for not speaking up. The ones who are friends with Aki have to kind of deal with what just happened. All of them have to deal with the fact that this game that was like really, really seen as such an important thing and build up for them. And they had spent like, I mean, their whole lives thus far looking forward to, but also like looking forward to being able to talk about their game in the past, suddenly, like, they're the only ones who basically never had a game that was finished. Yeah, it becomes a um, big shame point to the town and to them because it, it puts them so far outside of what everyone else has done for 50 years. And they were also the, supposed to be the 50th game of it. They were the anniversary game. And the book kind of ends nowhere. It's an interesting way to end because what happens is basically is that one of the girls finally decides... I mean, most of the girls are not talking to Shazam anymore. Like, does it... No. <laughs> <laughs> and one of them, who's kind of been, like, uh, more religious of the girls... She, like, to the <laughs> point that she supposedly hears God speaking to her. She thinks that God wants her to go bring Shazam to talk to Aki. And so she does. Aki is at home. Basically, her jaw had to be wired shut for the entire summer. She's trapped in bed and has to drink everything through a straw. Yeah, she she's... Can... Yeah. Only have liquids, basically, through a straw. She can't talk, so if she wants to talk, she has to write. I mean, it's miserable, you know? Like, it's summer. Shazam has been punished by not only, like, community service, but community service specifically helping out Aki's family. Like, rebuilding some of the fences that fell into disrepair while they were gone. Building them higher so deer can't jump over and stuff. So she's actually been working with Aki's brother all summer, but has not seen her. And so this other girl, Manny, brings her to see her, and at first she asks Aki, like, is it okay? Because <laughs> she is a little bit in shock at seeing her with like, this big head thing on that's basically holding her jaw in place. Aki is, like, really polite and gentle and soft-spoken, and so her first instinct is to write, I'm alright? And then she thinks better of it and finally is like, no, I'm not okay. And that kind of gets through to Shazam a little. Like, she kind of is like, this girl is in pain and can't move, and I did this, and she just said she's not alright. It's a weird place to end because it's definitely not being, like, like overly precious of being like, she learned her lesson and she turned around. All you see really is kind of like a crack in Shazam where things might be getting to her a little, where she's starting to realize that these are real people, mm -hmm. and not the shadowy figures in her nightmares who killed her dad. But... That's pretty much it. Yeah, <laughs> like, it that's... kind of ends on a point that everyone is still completely damaged from this experience, and that damage isn't something that can be easily healed. I think it's just uh, kind of just showing that like everyone is already damaged from this bigger experience of not mm -hmm. only the war, but like the things that we did. What did you think of this book, though? <laughs> so there's this thing where Emily has me read books, and Emily always picks... The most depressing books possible and the books that basically make 2018 um, me try and just like weep endlessly in the corner because 
just to give context, it's a weird time to read a book about the trauma induced by internment camps. So... It was a very... Oh, what a crazy coincidence I picked this book. Because I picked it a while back, yeah. and then all the news started coming out about all the children. Yeah, so the timing on this was very interesting for us. And for me, I mean, my anxiety levels have gone from 9 to about 14. It's a fucking really good book. Like, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really interesting. And sports are often a very good backdrop when we discuss discrimination because they're a place that have often been a haven to that. And they're a place that have often been where we've been able to sort of work out weird cultural issues in weird ways. So I thought this whole you know concept of a softball game that had originated as a way to bring people together now being sort of the home to where a lot of the trauma of war the war and also the internment camps was sort of playing out in the community that was still really reeling from this and you had a bunch of kids who made a point early on of like one of them talks about how she doesn't know why the parent the adults keep harping on the war the war is over why do they keep talking about it and at the end she's like oh if you just explained to us <laughs> This is why it still mattered. We would have understood. And the parents were like, we thought you knew. <laughs> we thought you understood that this is why we talk about it. It's still a big deal and it affects every day. And so I thought it was a really great backdrop for this story. It really was interesting how this sort of event that originally brought everyone together in the end sort of brought the people together in the sense that like they talk about how at the end all the girls from the two teams end up becoming friends through this sort of shared horrible experience because the girls from Barlow or want to check on Aki and they want to sort of find out if she's okay because they feel so much guilt tied to this player on their team that they knew and weren't able to stop and they all sort of end up becoming friends with each other in a way that was unexpected and it sort of is them all coping with shared trauma together as children and adults expecting them to mature now because now they're 11 year olds that should surely not be traumatized this book is a fucking tough read it's good this was a tough read, Emily. Why did you do this to me? Um, I don't think, again, I'm going to argue that not all of it was tough. I love the slice of life of, like, a community you don't normally see a part of, which is, like, kind of a poor rural mm -hmm. farming community, but they're all on the same level. A lot of times, even if you have a point of view of a poor person, they're a poor person living in a world where everyone else is a little bit more affluent than them. And that's not the case here. Everyone's pretty much on the same level. And that level is, like, not that rich. <laughs> yeah, like, one town um, does slightly better than the other because they have richer soil. And that's a point that they do a little bit better. But it's it's a very relative thing. Yeah. So I was like, that was interesting. You know I love old-timey things. And I thought the girls were all super fun. Like, I loved being around them. The girls were all great. I loved hearing the ones especially because I love baseball. So all the ones, like, Wink and Ela May, who were really super into it, I was like, we would hang out. Like, I want to hear all about the weird techniques you do to toughen up your hands. For the record, I am also super into baseball. I'm just, I don't play it. I watch it. Yeah. But, like, I loved them. I loved how into it they were. Wink is super obsessed with Hank Greenberg. <laughs> like, that was amazing. That was very relatable. I was like, I understand you. Yeah. I, I look into you and I understand. They were all, like, such great characters. It was so, that part was awesome. Um, I think a lot of it was, A, getting older and, like, realizing a lot of the themes that even if I understood them didn't hit me as hard when I was younger and also like you said like a lot of it was just uh the timing that we read it it was very on the nose and even just the things that have been happening in the last year and stuff with sports and politics it just hits you harder with all this stuff I think of 
sports suddenly being a not so much of an escape as it could have been in other times. I mean, I hate that argument because politics and sports and cultural situations have always been reflected in sports. Like, sure, but so then that way this felt very authentic to me. It's like, of course, of course, the sort of cultural zeitgeist of the town plays out in their sports ball game. It's a lot. Yeah, but I don't think again. Again, I will argue that I did not think this was a depressing read, even if a lot of the themes were... Cause I mean, I think one of the big things that goes through it is, like, A, this book didn't try to be, like, and then we solved racism because yeah. we fixed this girl who was, like, no. All it shows is that one person kind of starts to realize a little bit that maybe people who are not the same race as you are still people. But there's also the fact that, like, this whole town... Even adults have seen things that she did and kind of ignored them because they were like, it's not that bad. You know what I mean? No, to me, that was the most interesting part. Yeah, I think that was the part that hit hardest of Mm -hmm. being like people who, like white people especially, being able to be like, well, she did say that thing and it was racist, but I was like, don't say that. And then that was it. Like that was, and that was fine. And then later when she like does this horrible act, they're like, Maybe I should have seen this coming. (laughs) And the fact that even still a lot of them were so unwilling to say what they heard. Like, one of the girls thought she heard her say something, but wasn't sure, and so was so terrified, because she's like, if I say something, I, you know, will doom this girl to reform school. But it's like, this girl just fucking destroyed another child. Right, like, she was still more worried of accusing Shazam of being racist if she wasn't, like, on that possibility, even after she had just elbowed... This book is literally Twitter. Oh my god. It, yeah, it's like she literally just hospitalized a girl and they aren't sure if she's dead yet, but we're more concerned about what the consequences are of her being accused of being a racist. This book is the most, like, fucking 2018 thing I have had in my world in 2018. It is, and I think that was the really interesting part, was how much both kids and adults were presented with situations where they viewed this behavior... And they all, because the thing is, this girl had also lived a really hard life, and she was so much a product of what her mother put her through, and what she was exposed to that sort of warped her perception of the world and put her, so everyone tried to be really nice to her, and they were, felt really betrayed that she responded to that kindness by this horrible act, and I think, so a lot of it was people wanting to be like, I mean, she, she, she might not have, maybe she didn't, I mean, I told her not to. And I think it really says to how much we don't want to confront these kind of things and how much we kind of try and let things slide up. And it's like, I think also speaks to how we struggle to deal with people when we know this person, we know all these other aspects to them, but there's also something that is really fucking difficult that we should probably fucking address with them. Like the fact that they're super racist. And just trying to justify it of being like, well, it wasn't that bad what she said. And it's like... You know, it also hits up where it's like, who are you to judge that? <laughs> like, ah, yeah, those parts were tough. Oh my god. I mean, that whole theme, which I guess is the biggest theme of the book, <laughs> but I did love, like, all the parts in between where you get to know the girls and you get to live in that world and, like... Oh, the girls, like, there were so many great small stories between them. Like, there was a lot of really great background on each of them and, like, what mattered to them. You got to learn about why this game was important to each of them. Like, one of them had her older sister, then the MVP a couple years before. I mean, you got to really get hyped up with them for how important this game was to them and to the town and, like, what it meant to them to have this chance. 
and what practice meant and what each of their goals were. And you really got a lot of empathy for just what each of them were. And at first I thought the sort of, cause it bounces between each of their perspectives and it goes from like one town and it deals with the POVs of a couple different girls and then switches to the other town. And the switching gets faster and faster, especially once you get to the game. And at first, like, I thought it'd be really confusing, but it's put together in such a way that, like, the switching between point of views constantly makes sense, and it super works. Yeah, like, the first three, you're like, am I going to be able to follow this? Mm -hmm. Like, it's been a little bit since I read it, so I can't remember all the characters, just the ones I like the most, mostly. But by the time you get to the end, you really do kind of know all the girls. And also, yeah, the switching isn't as confusing. Is The more you get into it, the more you're just like, yeah, I'm following this fine, so... It's very well written. And yeah, like I said, each girl has their own voice, their own way of talking even. Also, baseball. I mean, softball. But... Softball is dope. I come from a very softball-heavy family. A lot of my relatives played softball. We had a lot of rec league softballers in my family. Uh, we had a lot of professional softball players in my family back in the 50s. And so, like, softball is very near and dear to me. So I'm super pro softball. Uh -huh. While I love watching baseball, the thing is I have very bad depth perception, so I was never able to play any of the sports. I am very bad at the sports. No, I was a baseball. Softballs are too big for my hands. They're very unwieldy. I think I have my dad. That's my dad's rec league softball over there on the table. Yeah, look at that. That's, yeah, it's, it's bigger than your hand. <laughs> you have very small hands. I have giant man hands, so I can deal with this. Yeah. Oh god, I have a lot of softball paraphernalia just around my room, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean. I'm gonna go grab a softball, because it feels appropriate for me to have it in my hand. Oh god, and not knock things over. I mean, it's fucking chunky, though. Softball is a fucking lie. That's why I always liked baseball better. Like, this is so hard for me. Look at how hard it is for me to even hold. Yeah. Like, I can hold it as if I'm doing, like, a weird pitch. But, like, just, like, normal, like, outfielding it is, like, look, it just slips right out of my grip. <laughs> This is the same problem I always had. Like, I love basketball. I'm actually not as bad at basketball as you would think because I'm tiny. But I do have problems with things where they're like, just palm the ball. And I'm like, just go fuck yourself. <laughs> uh, any slapping that you hear through the rest of the podcast is the fact that I've given Emily a softball and she is now throwing it hand to hand. <laughs> so that's what that noise is going to be for the rest of this episode. I don't know why episode. you would give me a ball and then not expect me to play this with it. It's a fucking mistake. <laughs> no! My editing! <laughs> That's hurtful. Take the ball away. Look at that waveform. Take the ball away. I have it now. I have the ball. I have taken the ball. <laughs> yeah, so sports are great. Uh, we are both sports people. So that was one thing I love that you gave me a book that I literally, at first, like, when I saw the title back six, I was like, this could be about children superheroes, where one is like fucking proto-Batman. This could be about, and then I was like, wait, it's Emily. Uh, this could be about, like, actual fucking bats or kids that have a bat-related club. I somehow, despite knowing you and knowing me, was not expecting actual sports. <laughs> <laughs> then I picked it up and went, there's sports children on the cover. Sports children. <laughs> I mean, you know I love sports. Yeah, I love, I mean, the community, I thought, like I said, the girls were so much fun. I love them. I wanted to hang out with all of them. Like, to skip ahead a little, my favorites were obviously, as I've already mentioned, Elame and Wink. Because... Elame is so good. They're like, weird dedication is just so fun to read for me. Wink is like super tall for her age and just kind of embraces it like the other team gets there and they're like and then there was this giant girl who was wearing <laughs> pants <laughs> and like she's like and i'm glad i wore pants because otherwise i couldn't have slid <laughs> she's so great she's so really obsessed with the sliding in the bases i love her i like that she had a very yeah she had a very specific goal and angle for her game and just fucking leaned into it yeah 
She knew what she was here for. They're fun. And there's, like, a really cute story about how one of the girls was named, her name is Beautiful Hair. Her real name is Hallie. Everyone calls her Beautiful Hair. And her sister was the MVP of the series a couple years ago. They have MVPs. They're really into this game, It's guys. very important, too. Like, being the MVP is, like, the lifelong dream of one or two of these kids. They know all the MVP, like, the former ones. Like, Aki's mom was an MVP, and they all know it. They're like, Aki was new. We don't remember her, but her mom was the MVP in 1934. Like, <laughs> There's, like, a store in town where every year they, like, car- like they paint in, like, the, the score of the game and the MVP. So, like, there's, like, a living record in town that they re- regularly visit. And there's, like, a bat that they engrave the the winner and, like, the MVP onto. And, like, there's a bunch of them because they only put, like, five on a bat or something. Yeah. But, like, so there's all these fucking bats floating around as trophies. I did like that how there was multiple ones. Yeah. They which weren't makes too sense. hung up on having one. But um yeah. Beautiful Hair's sister was the MVP a couple years back. Wink buys I think her glove mm-hmm. and like something else maybe off her. And then she's like, and I really wanted to buy her socks. Because I'm assuming they're either like the they old were her lucky knee socks. Si- yeah. Or like the knee high, like real baseball socks. Oh, yeah. And she wouldn't sell them to Wink. And then Beautiful Hair goes down to breakfast, and her sister had left the socks, like, at her place. Uh, and it's so cute, and such a, like, sweet, like... was such a good sister gesture. Yeah. It, um, yeah, it's, they all have these really great stories behind their goals and their motivations. And, like, one girl doesn't want to play, and so she was so thrilled that someone new showed up so that she could manage, because that was the, the last thing she wanted to do. She didn't want to play. She wanted to be the manager because she knew she'd be bad and didn't want anyone to know. So she was just so thrilled that she would get this chance to be the manager. Yeah. Versus on the other town, there was like two twins and one was slightly better than the other. So she was going to play and the other was going to be kind of like the alternate, like just in case. And when Shazam comes into town, they're both kicked off and they spend the entire year trying not to seem like they're bitter about this new player because everyone else on the team is excited to have like such a superstar player. But they're bitter. Yeah. And then she does this and they're kind of like, we gave up our spot on the team <laughs> for this. Like, and a lot of the other girls also do have some sympathy for it. Cause they're like, I don't know how I would deal with, you know, having, losing your one chance at it. Cause the only time you play in the bat six is when you're in this one grade. Like you have one year to play in the bat six. They did such a good job, especially about presenting just the things going on in town because you sort of do see. I think a lot of the struggles going on in town and sort of the current life after the war through these kids' eyes and what they're experiencing, what they prioritize, just for everything from, like, the discussion of some of the farming in town to, you know, to the problems that um, Aki's family has coming back after having been in the camp and their farm has been overrun and their house was destroyed by the people renting it. You get to see a lot through everyone's eyes about how this damages the place, but it's also, like, they're kids. They don't have sort of the world-weary priorities of adults. So you also see, you know, their excitement about a refrigerator. Like, they're excited about their lives. They're very living in the moment in a way that you kind of really get a great view of the things that are happening through what's happening in the peripheral. Like, the adults around them and their reactions to things, and you realize some of the stuff that's going on, like between um, Lorelai's father and, and Kate's father. And you see these sort of conflicts in town and these experiences. And it really, I think, using kids' point of view is always really interesting because I think they they try less to contextualize what's going on they just sort of mention shit where as an adult I'm like oh wait oh wait a second roll back to that on a different subject uh-huh. it's not as intense <laughs> oh god thank you thank you 
I just want to mention, because we mentioned that one of the girls was called Beautiful Hair Hair Holly, which she hates her name, which is kind of funny, because that's, like, the best nickname ever. No, it's a terrible fucking nickname. I feel beautiful so sad hair? for her. That's I mean, she does have beautiful hair. You don't need that to be your fucking name. That's such a fun name. Uh, people and yell this at her. Yeah, when they're cheering for her, they yell, <sighs> beautiful hair, beautiful hair. I would be, oh, God. Oh, I think it's great. Uh, they have such great, like, old-timey names. One of them is called Little Peggy. <laughs> Yeah. One of them was called Tootie. There's a, both a Shadeen and a Darlene, which is kind of confusing. It's baseball player as fuck is what a lot of these names are, which I appreciate. But it's also old-timey. Oh, like, yeah. It just reminded me, like, my grandpa's nickname was Cappy because <laughs> he wore a lot of baseball caps. I mean, that's accurate, then. Yeah. And he was in World War II, so that is, like, time appropriate to have those type of nicknames. <laughs> Uh, I love how much they all care. I mean, we've already said it's, like, a big deal, but, like, they just all care so much. Like, they start training, and there's all these rules about when they can officially train, and they, like, train during the winter, and they have coaches. Like, it's a whole thing for, like, this one game. Yeah, and they, you know, getting a glove is a really big deal. Like, one girl saves all her money for her glove and, like, does all these chores and sort of their whole year is basically dedicated to this. Yeah. There's also a lot of fragile male things in there. Yeah. Where, like, they practice against the boys because they kind of have to because all the girls are on one team, basically. But, like, the boys, like, lose interest, quote-unquote, and, like, wander away a lot, especially when one of the girls is too good because they don't like to, like, ever be bested by a girl. Uh, Tootie is the one who always says hubba hubba ding ding, which I think is funny. And near the end... After all the events have calmed down, Tootie was like, after all this happened, she was like, I lost my pep. Even my mom said, I never hear you say hubba hubba ding ding anymore. I do not feel like hubba hubba ding ding anymore. <laughs> like, that's sad, but I just love that that's her, like, thing that she says. Like, what if, I don't know. I liked all the, like, old time talk and slang that comes up every once in a while. Oh, I guess I do play softball nowadays. I played on the company softball team one year. I was very bad. Like, I can't field as well, which is upsetting to me because I love a good defensive player. Yeah. But, like, I think I always surprise people when I get hits. And the thing is, I don't look sporty. No. And I'm also very small. So yeah. Small like, strike zone. Yeah. But I'm very good at just getting a solid, like, straight through the center, get a double, that's my thing. I got, I got a couple like, singles in my time. I'm also, that's the reason I'm not good at softball, is because I'm much better at overhand pitching, mm -hmm. but I'm actually not bad at it. <laughs> like, I got a good aim is the thing. Uh, I want to talk about the cover, as per usual. Okay. Which is, I don't know if they've ever reprinted this. This is the so. only cover I've ever seen. It's a go. It's an okay cover. It's basically like an old-timey picture of two like age-appropriate lineups of girls in like... It's like a black and white photo of girls in sort of low-key sporting uniforms. Yeah, like the kind you see in, like, A League of Their Own, where they're wearing skirts and high socks. Mm -hmm. Um, I gotta say, though, and then it just says, like, Bat Six and kind of, like, patriotic-looking font. It's nice. It's fine. I gotta say, though, this, like, has that kind of weird Photoshop-y quality in some parts of it that kind of has creeped me out. Yeah. And then, when I was looking through your copy, what I discovered was a picture that... It's probably still Photoshop, but it's Photoshopped differently. And uh -huh. I think, look, oh, whoa. they have a girl in pants that yeah, they, they Photoshopped do. out. That's weird. Right? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's fucking weird. 
Like, the inside cover and the front cover Are... have the same picture, but they don't match up. I hate this. Please shut it. Okay, sorry. Okay. <laughs> That's all I wanted to say about the creepy. cover. Okay. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, that explains why that cover looks so much like on Photoshop. Was there anything particularly now, reading it as an adult, that you felt struck you that you didn't realize when you were a kid, or that was really like, you're like, oh, whoa, kind of moment? Yeah, I think all the parts about her being in the camp really hit me a lot harder. Mm -hmm. Where it was like, when I was a kid, I guess I didn't understand the full impact of it, but I now... I think that is one thing that helped about being from California, is because internment camps were such a thing in California, when you're in elementary school and junior high, like, you have a specific unit, where I went to schools, devoted to discussing it, and covering narratives, like Farewell to Manzanar, and really sort of covering it in a way that I think is useful because it really did connect it to World War II, but also really portrayed it as its own thing and its own sort of horror and really give it its own sort of weight and context because it was a fucking local thing for us. Yeah, and it's something that's like, you should be learning that this is something that's like, we made a huge mistake. They took these people away from their lives. Like, they took this child. There's a part in here where she's talking about how she didn't realize that they were still in America. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Like, she was so young, and she's like, I thought they had taken us away. And every time she kind of asked it, no one really understood what she was saying. Oh, God, that part was so hard to read, because especially because she visualized her whole childhood as her memory of the swing her father built her. Yeah. And that was home to her, and that was America to her, and yeah, that, she's that section was hard. And just, like, how she's always like, when are we going back to America? And the, all, the adults are like, we are, like, what? So that part was really hard. I think that hit me harder than it did when I read this. I could see that. There's a quote where they're having this kind of, like, town meeting thing about this. One of them is like, We fought that war so that all races could live fair. Hitler was the one that did that to the people that had different faces. Not us. We don't do that in America. And then right away, Mandita's father said, In America, they do it to them negros all the time. That gal, she just did it out in the open for all to see. And I was like, that, that was, quote... <laughs> I pretty much just screamed yes at her father at that point. Yeah. And it was great that, like, this book went there mm -hmm. and, like, said those things. Yeah, um, I think Manzanita's father and uh, Lorelai's father were both really used in an effective way where it felt like they were really used to sort of give voice to problems that other people in town did not want to give voice to. And I think it was interesting how much the kids were discussing how the adults were having all these debates and all these arguments. And when we got snippets of moments like that, they didn't always go fully into the depth of it, but they made it very clear that the adults were sort of trying to figure out what to do and were really being forced to address the fact that racism is still a huge factor in this town and it's now open in a way that we can no longer pretend it's not there. There is one thing in the book on a lighter note. I found one, a lighter note. Um, the ending? So it ends with, like, them in the room and, you know, her talking and apologizing and it's they kind of start to deal with putting this names up like or putting their team names up and kind of what that'll be in the store so they're just you know putting the, this up there and they're like but there's one thing we live through it that is something and sort of making their mark about how this will always have happened in the town and you know you have this kind of like end letter to god and it's very strange but then on the last page friends i would like to point out the very last page of this book is a recipe for apple spice cake <laughs> I was, like, turning to the very last page expecting, you know, some final comment, and I got a nice recipe for cake. I don't make cake, but it's nice to know I could. And it tells you how much you need to multiply it by if you're feeding a softball team, so that <laughs> seems helpful. So there's a recipe for spice cake. <laughs>
It's nice to know I could. Is it the only thing holding <laughs> you back was that you never read a book with a spice cake recipe in it? I mean, it's one thing to have to go hunt down your own spice cake recipe. If someone's just going to hand you the spice cake recipe, I feel like, I mean, half the battle's been achieved. It's fair. Like right there. I'm not going to make a spice cake. <clears throat> I don't think I actually know what a spice cake tastes like, so... You want to have spice cake? Well, I mean... I mean, I probably have, I just don't I really... want to, like, spice muffins. Like, I've never had someone hand me a piece of cake and been like, this is spice cake. Like, I've eaten a lot of rando cakes that have appeared in my workplace's break room that, like, one could certainly be a spice cake, but I'm not really familiar enough with the genre to know what actually constitutes a spice cake. I kind of like carrot cake, but, like, better, I think. Carrot cake is fine. Cream cheese frosting, can't argue with that. Well, that's the thing. I feel like people just like the frosting more yeah, than the cake. Yeah, the frosting's the best fucking part. You, know, you can put cream cheese frosting on anything. Yeah, but then it you get a weird guilt cake. complex. Like, you put it on Do carrot you? cake and you're like, I feel okay because it's carrot cake. It's not that bad for you. It's still, I mean, it's not good for you. It has more <laughs> carrot in it. It's a fucking, like, it's the best con we've ever played on cake. I don't know. My mom makes a beet cake that's really good. Oh. No, it's good. You would think it was just chocolate cake. I don't believe you well it's the same idea as carrot cake you have a root vegetable that can be kind of sweet and you mix it in but it makes it like more moist and like dark oh it's real good found my line on this one i think beet cake is my line no because most people she just doesn't tell people it's beet cake so most people who eat it don't know if i find out i've been eating beet cake all this time i'd be very disappointed okay when have i ever given you cake that's true when have you given me cake you should give me cake no, I'm not much of a baker. I edit this podcast for us. I really like cake. I've done dark things for cake. I'm not really a huge cake fan, to be quite honest. <sighs> are you a fucking pie person? Mm, I don't really like pie either. Jesus, what do you like? Uh, donuts. You fucking monster. <laughs> and, like, certain cookies. Okay, cookies are fucking dope. I can't argue with that. But I don't like chocolate chip cookies. What the hell?! I mean, I'll eat them. I'm not... The thing is, I'm not... No, you won't anymore, because you now owe all chocolate chip cookies to me, a person that will appreciate them for who they are and what they want to be. I'm not a bit... So I don't have a huge sweet tooth to start with. And B, like, I'm not a picky eater, so when I say I don't like these, I mean, like, I'll eat them, and sometimes I'll even, like, want them if they're in front of me, and I'm like, well, I want something sweet, so I guess I'll eat this. But they're not really something I ever, like, crave or go out of my way to get... Except for donuts. I fucking love donuts. Oh but God. not cake donuts. Real donuts. Cake donuts are real donuts. No, they're the worst. <laughs> Just eat cake if you want cake. Yeah, I fucking will, because cake's delicious. Um, I also like cheesecake a lot, but not New York-style cheesecake. Okay. Good cheesecake. I now don't know what you mean by good cheesecake, because I don't trust anything you say now. Well, my mom makes it, and it's not New York-style, so it doesn't have sour cream, so it's not as dense. Okay. It's, like, lighter and fluffy. Okay. We make it a lot for breakfast. And this St. Louis thing called gooey butter cake. That's good. I'm going to stay in California where the food is safe. Anyway, we read a book. New York-style cheesecake sucks is what I'm saying. Do you have any other feelings on the book? No, I generally liked it. I'm glad to reread it. Uh, there is one, so at the point, I also, one thing I really appreciate is we get these longer passages from each girl early on in the book, and then once you hit the game, it just goes really quickly through everyone. You're really getting kind of the pace of a sporting event where you're just bouncing quickly through everyone. Um, but afterwards, once there's three girls who are basically holding Shazam back from going after Aki again, and the section from, uh, Britta Marie is just 
Audrey and I and Lola are different ever since that time when we held on for dear life and that girl's body was throwing itself about like a crazy person. Never again we could be children after that. I could not explain it to anybody that was not there in the grip with the three of us. Only we know how it was. It was too creepy. Like, I just, I love how much each of them afterwards, you could see them talking about how this game changed them in a way that none of them could describe other than everything after this game was different for them. Yeah. Because this book is depressing. It wasn't depressing. I mean... Not this book entirely. was too real, and by yeah. that I mean depressing. It this book was, was too fucking real. It did feel, like, just very real. Like, just very, like, yep, this is still kind of the way the world is. This like, was a very timely and effective and poignant book. I will say poignant is the word I will go with. Yeah. What's your ranking? This is a tough one. I want that rating. Yeah, hold on, I'm thinking. I am going to give this book a six. All right. Because I think it was, like, it's easy to read, and a lot of it is, like, fun and interesting, and I think it makes a lot of, a lot of points, and especially, like, in this day and age, like, how much of it is still relevant mm -hmm. is, like, kind of shocking and sad, but, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna give it a six, and part of it is because, again, like, I'm glad I reread it now. It's not something I'm going to be like, I should buy this so I can go back to it from time <laughs> to time and reread again. But it was, like, nice to read once. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think I'm going to give it a 6.5 for similar reasons. Um, I really enjoyed it. I thought the girls' nar narratives were great. Um, I would have given it a 6, but I wanted to bump an extra point five just because I felt like it conveyed its messages and themes so fucking well. Like, I felt like it was really effective at how... It conveyed a lot of the conflict in the town and the conflict of the characters, and it really struck me how just fucking good a lot of that was. So, but I, yeah, overall, like, I don't know about the rereadability of it, just because kind of once you've read it, I'm not sure how much I would go back. Um, and also, I think I emotionally can't reread this. Um, but overall, I thought it was good. It was really effective. I feel like if you're having problems having conversations with children right now about the current state of the world, this is not a bad book to give them. It's fair. It's a really interesting, powerful book. I think it's a really interesting book because a lot of times I think a lot of the narratives we teach kids on World War II, we focus so much on the war that we don't always focus on sort of the aftermath of it as much. Like, I feel like sometimes a lot of the narratives we read are very much focused during that specific time period. So I thought historical fiction specifically addressing the aftermath of the war a couple of years later, you know, and how much those effects linger, I think is really useful and good. And it's a good book. So yeah, that's where I'm at on that book. Yeah. Also kids that like sports. Yeah. And girls playing sports. Girls playing is... sports. A very good thing. Yeah. That you don't always get. In books. No. I think that's all I got. That's all you got? Yeah, that's all I got. All right. Thank you all for joining us again here on Throwback Bookstack from my Throwback Bookstack headquarters, um, a.k.a. my floor. <laughs> I like to make it sound fancy. <laughs> uh, I would love it if you would let us know what you think of this podcast, of these books, of the world, of other books that you enjoy. Uh, you can reach us at throwbackbookstack at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter, and by we, I, as always, I mean me and not Emily, because Emily does not social media. <laughs> she is currently balancing a pen on her nose in a very impressive fashion, though. I'm very proud of you. Thank you. <laughs>
Uh, we are at, thro- at Throwback BS Pod on Twitter. If you want to go to iTunes and give us a nice review, please cheer me up. Please cheer both of us up. It's been a dark fucking time. I've read a lot of depressing books because Emily's just fucking piling the sad books on me. So right. cheer up my soul. Give us a nice review. Or if you don't like our podcast, like I can give you recs for other podcasts. We both love podcasts. Don't don't get this far in a show you don't love, people. Uh, I hope you all have a lovely time. Go out. Take care of yourselves and each other. Eat some spice cake. Find out what spice cake is and tell me. Okay, you ready for the theme song? Yes, give me that theme. I put my hands up in the air sometimes. Say it, ayo. Darling, let's go. Da, 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 da. I will I wanna celebrate and live my life. Saying ayo. That's all I got. That's not about books. Oh no, I was just singing you dynamite. <laughs>